morning everybody. Um, it's lovely to be here with you. I'm going to do the reading this morning, which is taken from John chapter 14, verse 15 to 31. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Now come, let us leave. So now we're going to look at this passage that Fiona read to us just now, this wonderful passage from the Bible about... Um, all about uh, the, the Holy Spirit and Jesus speaking to his disciples. When my son Ross was about four years old, he had issues um, about staying in bed. He um, was such a social wee chap, he didn't like to miss out on anything. Even at a very young age, he had FOMO, the fear of missing out. And sometimes when we checked the stairs to his bedrooms, we would find him asleep on the bottom step, having crept downstairs, but hidden from us, so he could remind, remain as close to us as possible without the risk of being discovered. Some nights we had tantrums and tears getting him to stay in his bedroom, especially as the evenings, when the evenings grew lighter and he could hear us talking downstairs. But in truth, it was mostly separation and anxiety. He just wanted to be close to his mother and to his father. So I have a memory of an evening, an evening that will remain forever etched in my memory. It was a warm evening and we had friends around uh, for a meal and Ross had been playing up that evening and didn't want to stay in bed because it was light and he could hear us talking downstairs. However, we managed to get him into bed and we thought he was asleep. So when it came to around about half past ten and we, um, our friends were leaving, we went out onto the drive with them and they opened the car doors and they, they got into the car and we were standing there with them in their car and the doors were open and suddenly I caught a movement in the corner of my eye and I looked back at the house and I could see Ross and Ross was standing there 
in the window of his upstairs bedroom and he had his hands against the window and he looked absolutely petrified because basically he felt that we, we thought we were going to get in the car with our friends or we were going to drive off and leave him all alone. He looked terrified and that expression on his face, graven on that wee chap's face, and will haunt me forever and can never forget how worried and concerned he looked that mum and dad were about to leave him. And being alone is a common nightmare for children and if we're honest also for adults. Being abandoned by those who we love and, and lean upon, those who support us and enrich our lives with their presence. And in John 14 Jesus knew that shortly he will be arrested He'll be tried and he'll be executed. He knew, but it was not, he was not long for this world. And here in this passage in John 14, he's trying to prepare his disciples for that time when he will not be around. He says to them in verse 19, Before long, the world will not see me anymore. Before long. In other words, soon. He's preparing his disciples for the brutal truth that he is going away. I mean, this is quite strange because hadn't he promised throughout the Gospels to be with his disciples forever? Was Jesus trying just to sweet talk his disciples? In fact, his very last words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven is found in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, where Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And John 14, that passage that Fiona read for us, is all about Jesus fulfilling his promise to us and to them. Because he says in verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall send you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Jesus is promising another comforter, a present to convey that comforting presence of Jesus. And that comforter, of course, is the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is the bringer of Jesus's presence. The bringer of Jesus's presence. Let's read that verse again, verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help to be with you forever. This new advocate or comforter is to replace Jesus, who has also been our advocate. This new advocate is the Holy Spirit. This is clear in verse 26. Verse 26 says, The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. So too Jesus is described elsewhere in the Bible as an advocate. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 21, John the Apostle writes, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. So here... Jesus is speaking about the advocate being the Holy Spirit. And also he mentions elsewhere in the epistles, he writes, for Jesus is the advocate. So just what does this word advocate mean? Well, there are lots of words in the English language that can be a little confusing. A great one is gobbledygook, gobbledygook. Close your eyes and think of the noise that a turkey makes. And that bird makes a noise like gobble, gobble, gobble. This is exactly where this word came from. It was created from the meaningless sounds 
that turkeys make. So gobbledygook literally means um, anything that's confusing. It's nonsense, something that doesn't make sense, because as a bird, as a, as a turkey speaks, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's nonsense. It's gobbledygook. And it's also used sometimes to describe those people who use lots of technical words to impress you, but actually it doesn't make sense. So that's a great word, isn't it? Gobbledygook. But also there's another great word, which is discombobulate. Discombobulate. I know Fiona absolutely loves that word. It's, it's when someone talks lots of gobbledygook. Um, they may be trying to discombobulate you. Uh, um, or you may find yourself a little discombobulated um, by these strange words. Discombobulate um, literally means to confuse. It's been around since the 19th century and mainly is used in a, in a humorous way, like, for example, what's the matter with you? You look a little discombobulated. So some words can be very confusing. And the name used here in the Bible to describe the Holy Spirit can also be a little confusing, not because it sounds peculiar, although it may sound peculiar to our English ears, but because it actually means more than one thing. And the word that Jesus uses when he speaks about the Holy Spirit is the word parakletos. Parakletos. This is a wonderful Greek word that has various meanings, and that's why we have confusion. So, for example, if you look at your Bibles, you may have one of three different readings for that word in your translation. You may have the word advocate, you may have the word comforter or the word helper. So, for example, advocate is used by the New National Version, used by the New Living Translation. Um, older versions of it, so the one, my Bible on my desk actually doesn't say advocate, it says counsellor, because it, it, since the translations come on, it's actually been changed very recently by, by the publishers. If you've got the Living Bible or the Wycliffe Bible, that uses the word comforter. The King James Version um, and the English Standard Version and the Good News Bible uses the word helper. And so this one word, paracletus, means all three. It means advocate, helper and friend. So before you're thinking I'm speaking gobbledygook or you're thinking I'm trying to discombobulate you, okay, I'm not. It's just the word literally means those three things. Because a paraclete in Greek in, in Greek life had three main word, roles. A paraclete was a person, and it literally means to come alongside, to help. A paraclete was someone who came alongside you and helped you in what you were doing, particularly in a court of law. So the paracletus was a person who would come along and help you in your defence in a court case. They were your advocate, which is the reason the NIV uses that word. The person who stands up uh, for you and in defence of you. Also, though, a paraclete was also someone who was just a helper. They didn't necessarily need to be a professional. They didn't necessarily need to have any legal training. They were the person who would come along to support you through the trial or through the trials. That was a paraclete. But also, they, a paraclete was someone who came to counsel you, someone who came to support you, to listen to you, to guide you, someone who was, in fact, your helper. So you see, this one word means all three things. It means an advocate or counsellor. It means someone who's a helper. It means someone who brings a comfort to you in your time 
of trial. So Jesus is saying here, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. He will give you another helper. He will give you another comforter to help you and to be with you forever. He's saying that when it comes to the time that he will leave us, he will not leave us alone. And so there's a wonderful passage, a verse in verse, 11, uh, verse 18, where Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Remember that picture of my son Ross in the window, thinking that we're about to leave him and the panic? Jesus says, I won't leave you. I will not leave you. I will not abandon you. I will not leave you as orphans. Quite literally in the Greek, that word means, I will not leave you desolate. I will not leave you deserted. I will not leave you like abandoned children, like orphans. I will never do that, says Jesus. I will come to you. I will be your helper. I will be your advocate. I will be your comforter, the one who comes alongside to help you. I will be your paracletus. God's Spirit will never leave us. This is Jesus' promise, and he keeps his promise when he sends his Holy Spirit upon his church. And that's what happened 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. And you heard many sermons preached on Pentecost Sunday extolling the power that comes upon our lives through the Holy Spirit. But today I want to focus on this passage that talks more about the presence of Jesus as a helper, as a comforter, as an advocate. Because often uh, God's Spirit doesn't arrive with a bang and a fanfare as he did on that first Pentecost Sundays. With tongues of fire and with angelic languages. Often the Spirit comes and meets us as a friend. Who comes beside us as we weep and simply puts his arms around our shoulder and holds us. Jesus is saying, I will not leave you alone. I will not abandon you. I will be your advocate. I will be your helper, your comforter. But now by my spirit, by the Holy Spirit, I will come upon you and be all those three things. The Holy Spirit brings Jesus into our lives in the 21st century. You see, Jesus died he rose again and he ascended to heaven. But Pentecost Sunday celebrates the time he descended back onto his church, giving us his presence, his power and his peace. He made his home with his church and continues to make his home with those people who let him into their lives. And this is what Jesus says in verse 23. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching." My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. We will come to them and make our home with them. Verse 23. God makes his home in our lives. That's what Jesus promised, and that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Literally, God will make his abode with us. And this this verse is very definitely in the Greek language, a permanent place. It's not talking about a tent, a temporary place, a caravan or a hotel or a bought B&B. It's talking about home where you put down roots. God makes his home in our lives. God is not a passing friend or a relative who makes a dutiful visit to us once or twice a year. 
but by his spirit. Jesus comes to live with you every single day of your life. He makes his home with us. And this is what Pentecost is all about. The trouble is there are barriers, though, to receiving his spirit in our lives. You see, we can keep him out. We can keep him out. Both as a Christian, we can limit the amount of the Holy Spirit we have in our lives by limiting our, our, our relationship to God. Or as someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, we can keep him out. We can put a big sign on our lives that says, keep out, trespassers not wanted. And Jesus will listen to that. He won't force his way. He won't trespass into your life. Elsewhere, Jesus speaks in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. And here he says, here am I. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. But a handle to your life and to my life is not on the outside. It is on the inside. Only you can let Jesus into your life. Only you can let the Holy Spirit into your life to come and live with you, to make his abode, his home with you. This is true of any relationship. To have someone in your life, we need to let them in. We need to spend time with them and share our lives with them. We need to let them in if we're to have any relationship. And it's true spiritually of our relationship to God, and to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We need to let him in. And not only can we keep him out, but our lifestyle and our choices can keep him out. You see, we need to say sorry for the wrong things we've done and ask him to both forgive us and to make room for him in our lives by getting rid of and cleaning out the rubbish that we know, we know deep down, God doesn't like or want us to be involved with. If you've got a bucket in your garden and it's full of a green, stank, smelly fluid, you can't use that bucket until you get rid of that green, rank old stagnant fluid you've got to throw it away and then you fill that bucket with fresh new water and then you water your plants if your buckets are already filled with rubbish and with a with, with a toxic waste nothing else can come into it and if our lives are full of rubbish and things that are toxic god can't get in this is why uh, several times Jesus says this, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. That's verse 15 and verse 21. He says, you know, it's not about what you say. I'm a Christian. It's not about that. It's about what you do. If you love me, you will obey me. That's the sign of real love and of real knowledge of the Lord. He links our proclaiming love with our behaviour. See, Jesus wants to make his home with us, to be our comforter, to be our helper, to be our defender, our advocate, our counsellor. But we need to invite him in. We need to get rid of all the rubbish that keeps him out and make sure and ask him to come into our lives and to cleanse us and to clear out that garbage and to be willing to let it go. I know all of us can't clear out that much of that rubbish and in my own Christian life. It's been a case of, asking God to come in but I need to want God to come in and I want God to deal with that rubbish in order for him to cleanse and to, and to heal me. So Jesus says in verse 20, 
And on that day you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Pentecost is about knowing God, not just out there. It's not a religion. It's not just a faith. It's a personal faith, a personal knowledge. It's bringing God inside us by his Spirit. And that presence is power in our lives. And it also brings great peace. Pentecost is about the Spirit bringing the presence of Jesus. The presence. It's also about, uh, Pentecost is about the Spirit bringing peace. Bringing peace. He told his disciples in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. And do not be afraid. You see, you can't get this peace anywhere else. You can't go down later on after this service to Aldi's or to Asda or to Sainsbury's and find somewhere on a shelf the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just not going to happen, folks, so don't bother. This peace has one source and one source only. It comes from the Lord Jesus. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. It's a gift. He wants to give you his presence he wants to give you his peace. And that's why he says to us, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is the perfect remedy for fear in this pandemic. It's not trying to equip yourself, you know, and don't get me wrong, we need to take all the precautions we can. We need to stay inside and so high and, 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 and uh, respect social distancing. But actually, if you want real peace in your heart, it comes from inviting into your life the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit brings us peace. Jesus told us that he was going to go away, but he was going to come back to us. He said in verse 28, you heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. And this is exactly what happens in that Pentecost. Jesus comes back, bringing his presence and bringing his peace by his Holy Spirit. What's interesting is that uh, we in the West are greatly influenced by the Greeks. And the Greek view of peace is actually sounds positive but actually it's about the absence of something it's actually got a very negative role peace okay is basically the absence of conflict it is the absence of war so when someone says you know be at peace you say don't have a war today don't have a fight okay so it's positive but actually it's a positive because of an absence because of a minus because of the absence of a negative war and conflict but the jews don't use peace in that way they talk about shalom and so if you're in Israel, they will say shalom. And that's not saying to you, don't have a fight today. It's saying, may you enjoy the presence of God and the fullness of God and the blessing of God and the best there is for your life. It's not about the absence of conflict and war. That's also part of shalom, absolutely. But it's more also about the presence of something, the presence of God and his blessing upon our lives. And this is what Jesus is giving his disciples in this passage. He's given them with a deep personal peace that comes not simply from not having a fight that day or having a war that day. It comes because God is there. God is in them. He's reassuring them. He is calming them. He is comforting them. He is blessing them day by day. Day. In 1879, Horatio Spafford was a 
prosperous lawyer and a devout Presbyterian elder. And uh, this particular man, Sebastian, uh, sorry, Horatio Spafford, um, lived with his wife Anna and they lived comfortable uh, with their four young daughters in Chicago. And every year 1871, there was a great fire in Chicago which broke out and devastated the entire city and Horatio and his family lost their entire fortune during that particular fire. So he had to start to rebuild his business again. And then in 1873, to benefit his wife's health, the Spafford family planned for a European vacation, while exotic in, in those days, and they planned to go to Europe for an extended stay. But at the last moment, he was detained from boarding the ship uh, because of business in Chicago. Obviously his, business was, his new business was small, and he's having to build it up and give a priority to it. So he bade farewell to Anna and their, and their, their girls, their four children, and he remained behind in Chicago. Well, the Anna and the four girls sailed to Paris on the luxury steamer, the Villa de Havre, alone. And on the evening of the 21st of November, 1873, their liner was rammed amidships by uh, a British iron ship called the Locan, and their ship sank within 12 minutes in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Anna was picked up unconscious, she was floating on a spar, wooden spar of the church, but all her four daughters had drowned. A fellow survivor of the collision was Pastor Weiss, and he recalled later on Anna saying, God gave me four daughters, now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. And Anna was picked up by the crew of the Lockhearn, uh, which the boat itself was in danger of sinking, and she was transferred to another vessel, the Tri-Mountain, a cargo vessel, and that took her and the other survivors for nine days into the, uh, into the port of Cardiff in Wales. And there she cabled her husband, Horatio, and she sent him a bleak message. Saved alone, what shall I do? Well, after receiving Anna's telegram, Horatio Spafford immediately left Chicago to bring his wife home. And on the Atlantic crossing, the captain of the ship called Horatio to his cabin to tell him that at that moment they were passing the stop, the place where their ship had, had gone down and where his four daughters had drowned. And he wrote later to his wife, Rachel, sorry, his wife's half-sister, Rachel. He wrote these words. He said, on Thursday last, we passed over the spot where she went down in mid-ocean. The water's three mile deep at that point. But I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe, folded, for dear lands. He had a picture of those children folded with the Lord Jesus in his Lord's arms. And at that moment, as the captain told him the news, he, Horatio went back out on deck and he felt himself inspired to write a song, a hymn, but has become popular ever since. And that hymn is this. It says these words, When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul.
that wonderful hymn we're going to be singing it at the end of this service is an example of how the Holy Spirit can calm us even in the midst of great tragedy and difficulty. It's interesting when I was reading uh, the uh, um, and reading about Tim and, and uh, Linda Darby, um, they write about when they when they decided to go out to Uganda, and initially they were planning to go out there for a short period, um, uh, and test test the ground if you like, or test the water. But eventually they felt God say no, you want to commit to this now, and so they both 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 of them basically um, agreed to go into full long term mission and and went to train for it. And eventually, by BMS, was sent out to um, to Uganda. And they write this: they say, "We prayed and spoke to our pastor and our families, and felt unexplainable peace about the long-term prospects of becoming long-term workers. Unexplainable peace is the Holy Spirit. Fiona and I have lived lives, we've we've moved up and down the country." Um, I've been around the world as an army chaplain into many war zones where there's conflict and there's suffering and there's violence and there's blood and there's horror. And yet so many times in our own decision making to seek to know where God's going to lead us, we have had unexplainable peace, a sense of God's presence, a certainty that this is what God wants us to do has helped us. This is not what the world can give. You're not going to find it on the shelves of Sainsbury's. It can only has one source, the Lord Jesus Christ. I would not be a minister who was not for the Holy Spirit and his sense of peace. People, we can experience God in this vital way. And if you're a Christian, and you've been a Christian for many years, then ask God anew to send his Holy Spirit upon you, to give you a refreshing of his spirit and you've never known Jesus you've never bent the knee to him and asked him to come into your life if you've been keeping him out of your life don't let this day pass without you bending the knee to him and inviting him in and experiencing your own personal Pentecost because God is real Jesus is real the Holy Spirit is real and they want to come and make a home with you but you've got to invite him in You've got to say no to the past and those wrong things that you're doing in your life that you know will keep him out. The word for that is to repent, to turn, turn away from that, to get rid of that rubbish. It is rubbish in comparison to the peace and the presence of noble Lord Jesus. People don't let this day pass. Pentecost is a special day. It's the birthday of the church and it could be your spiritual birthday. The day in which Jesus comes into you and brings peace and presence. Deep down, Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. And it'll be a chance for you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, to invite him into your life. And I really encourage you to say those words with me. You don't have to be perfect to be a Christian, far from it. It's because we're unperfect. Yeah, it's only one person, perfect person, that's Jesus. He is, as we read earlier on in, in 1 John 2 verse uh, 21, um, he is the righteous one. I'm not good. I'm a work in progress. All of us as Christians are a work in progress. The God's Spirit comes into us. So let me, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, encourage you to pray with me now. 
and to invite him into your life. Let's bow our heads. And if you know the Lord Jesus, um, then let's pray for those who don't know the Lord Jesus, that his spirit may now come upon them as we say these words. Lord Jesus, I recognise you as the Son of God. I recognise you as the one who came down to show us the way to live and the way to be. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the one who walked with us, who came alongside us for those many years, uh, 2,000 years ago. And when you rose again and went back to heaven, you sent your spirit. And Lord Jesus, I want to invite you now into my life. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my wrong actions and wrong thoughts. Forgive me for my rebellion and my rejection of you. Forgive me even now for I struggle with my faith and all of us do that. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Cleanse me. Make me a new person, a different person. Make me, Lord Jesus, like you. And may I discover how to read and understand the Bible. May I discover to, uh, more about you and how to follow you. May I become a good person, a different person, a person who will bring your love and your presence and your goodness into this world. Lord Jesus, come upon me with your Holy Spirit. Cleanse me, forgive me and make me anew. I ask, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. If you made that prayer or commitment, then I encourage you, please, to, to let me know, to send me an email. You can find my, my email um, address um, on the website of the page or send, send, send us a message via Facebook Live and I'll get back to you and talk to you about next steps. Being a Christian is a wonderful experience. It's about knowing God's peace and presence in our lives.